May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So today, being the third Sunday in Advent, is often known by the name Gaudete Sunday, or Gaudete, depending on how you like to do your Latin, um, which means rejoicing. And that comes from that traditional introit that we just sang from Philippians chapter 4. That first word in Latin is gaudete, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So this is the week when we light the rose-colored candle on the Advent wreath. And uh, we, like many parishes, would uh, swap out the violet vestments for rose-colored ones. You might think it's pink, but it's really rose. Um, (laughs) So what we're doing here is that we are mellowing out the penitential violet with a little bit of joyful white, and that gives us the rose. So the custom appears to come from the parts of the church that in ancient times used to begin Advent a couple weeks earlier than we do today, and they would have a full 40 days of Advent. So you would have um, almost a second Lent, really. You'd have the, the major fast before Easter in the spring, and then the major fast before Christmas um, in the winter. And, um, and, and so we would have this long period of fasting, long period of penitence. Well, just like Latare Sunday during Lent, Gaudete Sunday becomes then a day to ease the fasting a little bit, to ease those rigors of penitence just a little bit as we prepare for the home stretch toward the feast day. And because of this, I know some folks who like to have their pre-Christmas cookie exchange on Gaudete Sunday, and um, I for one like that custom. So. <laughs> But since the text for um, Gaudete, that Philippians 4 is next week's epistle reading, um, we're going we're to kind of put off the discussion of that text until next week. Um, today's readings, the rest of the readings, the major propers, focus on John the Baptist preparing the way for the first coming of the Lord. And then consequently, um, it, it, it discusses Christian ministers preparing the way for Jesus' second coming. We see this especially in our collect for the day. You can find this on page 93. We prayed, O Lord Jesus Christ, who at thy first coming did send thy messenger to prepare thy way before thee, grant that the ministers and stewards of thy mysteries may likewise so prepare the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, that at thy second coming to judge the world, we may be found an acceptable people in thy sight, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. So John the Baptist is, of course, the messenger that's mentioned in the collect. John can really be seen as the last of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet who actually gets to see the promised Messiah. And not only does John see and meet the Messiah, as we all know, John is the one who baptizes the Lord prior to Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. So in today's gospel reading from Matthew 11, Jesus says of John the Baptist, What went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So John here is not only the last of the prophets, but he's also a prophet who is prophesied about. That's pretty neat. In the next verse, which is not in our prayer book, um, but it's the next verse in the passage, 
He says of John, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So as the prophet who gets to see the fulfillment of all the prophecies, that is, of course, the coming of the Messiah, John indeed is the greatest of that Old Testament era, that era that's still really, in a sense, there when Jesus is speaking. He's the greatest of what we might call the Old Testament saints. Yet Jesus follows up his praise of John with the remarkable statement that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. As you see, John didn't get to see the consummation of the Lord's ministry. He didn't live that long. He didn't, get to, he didn't live long enough to see the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. John didn't live to see the witness. He didn't live to be a witness to the coming of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. Unlike the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Apostles, John was not in the upper room the day the church was born. John had already been executed. He was killed by then. Nor did John receive the sacraments of Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper, whereby you and I are united to Christ by faith and partake of his death and resurrection and feed on his body and blood. So in this way, the newest and most timid Christian is indeed greater than the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Because you and I have received blessings that John can only imagine. And in fact, when we look at the beginning of our gospel passage, John seems to have been having doubts as to whether Jesus was indeed the one who had been promised. John had not seen a lot of the blessings. He had seen a lot of sufferings. He's in jail. He's not quite sure it looks like. The gospel was in part still hidden from John. So he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? What's Jesus' answer? Well, he points to his ministry. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So this then brings us to the ministry today. Jesus promised that the apostles and those who follow after them would do the same kinds of things that he did. Our Lord's ministry did not cease when he ascended into heaven, but it continues on through the work of the church. And remember, St. Luke says at the beginning of the, of, of the book of Acts, this is what Jesus continued to do. Even though he was, he was ascended into heaven by then. Even the miracles that the Lord did are continued by the apostles. Again, we see this in the book of Acts. And they do happen from time to time still today in some form or another. But most importantly is the last part of Jesus' description of his ministry, the preaching of the gospel. It's through the preaching of the gospel that the hearts of the disobedient are turned to the wisdom of the just, like we said in the collect. It's by the preaching of the gospel that the lost are saved and the saved are nourished through the word and the sacraments. So in our epistle, St. Paul describes Christian ministry further. This is 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 1. You can find this on page 94 in the prayer book. St. Paul writes, Let no man account of us as the ministers of Christ, 
I'm sorry, let's try that again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of any man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing against myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. So in the context of the first epistle to the Corinthians, St. Paul is addressing the factionalism and hero worship that had grown up in the Corinthian church. So rather than being content with their most blessed state as members of Christ's body, the Corinthians had started to identify themselves with particular teachers, preachers, and apostles, and really pit these guys against each other. In fact, some of the Corinthians were saying that Paul was just not quite as impressive as some of those other guys, and they weren't quite sure that he was worth listening to. Well, Paul has, Paul, St. Paul will have none of that. Our faith is not about a particular preacher or teacher. It's only about Jesus. And in part, St. Paul was telling the Corinthians that he doesn't ultimately answer to them. He only answers to the Lord. And in light of the factionalism and hero worship going on in the Corinthian church, such a rebuke was indeed needed. Now, I'm currently reading a pair of books by the late Walter Klein, who was a longtime professor and eventual dean at Neshota House Seminary, in addition to being the sometime bishop of northern Indiana. The first of these books is titled Clothed with Salvation and um, is a series of essays written to council seminarians. The second book, titled A Priest Forever, is a follow-up to the first book, and it's written for new priests. I cannot tell you how encouraging and edifying I found Bishop Klein's advice. It's just been an absolute joy to read, and um, I I do intend to, um, matter of fact, I got it (laughs) for the purpose of writing up a review for the North American Anglican in a few weeks once I'm all done with it. There's your uh, commercial um, break. But in, um, in an essay in the first book that's titled, We Are Also Men, Klein urges us to stamp out that hero worship tendency that can come with the ministry. He writes this, we have no patience, or sorry, we need have no patience with the perverted loyalty that would convert the parish into a local high place and the rector into a local bail. That's, of course, um, referencing the Old Testament tendency towards idolatry, right? That's not what we're supposed to be about. This is one of the reasons why it has been important for me to have assisting clergy over the years, to share the pulpit, to share the altar. Um, We're glad that uh, Father Marcus is visiting today to share the altar. And rumor has it that um, we'll have two weeks of uh, these fellows sharing the pulpit coming up. So I won't be here for one of those. So there we go. The point, though, here is that All Saints is not a personality cult uh, of the rector. That's not what we're here for. And sadly, we need not look far to see the damage that narcissistic pastors have done to the church in general and to God's people in particular. Those headlines are, uh, uh, we find headlines of that all too often. You know, I, I, I just finished listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, which talks about one of the uh, most famous of those incidents in the last 20 years. Um, 
Their pastor used to talk about their church being a bus that had bodies in the rearview mirror and brag, we're going to have mountains of it before we're all done. It's not so good, folks. That's not what the church is about. So, as I said, St. Paul will have none of that kind of thing. We are to be ministers of Christ and stewards of his, myster- of his mysteries. Now, the concept of a minister in the Greek is a subordinate assistant. And, for example, it was used in ancient times to talk about the person who helped the physician. So we could say that we, we clergy are the physician's assistant to Jesus, the great physician. Similarly, the steward is the household manager in ancient times. So the priest is the local head butler at Christ's house. I'm thinking of Downton Abbey, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) So with that in mind, you can see how St. Paul emphasizes in our epistle that he doesn't answer to the Corinthians, he only answers to God. But he also wrote, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we might not answer to the congregation, but we do answer for it. The priest is not an autocrat. He's under authority, and he's been given charge to execute his office faithfully. So what is that office? Well, it's to preach the word, administer the sacraments, and to care for souls. In fact, that's how the Articles of Religion define the church. Article 19 calls the church. It says, The visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in the which the pure word of Christ is preached and the sacraments be duly ministered according to Christ's ordinance in all those things that of necessity are requisite of the same. Now, if you, uh, if you uh, read morning prayer or prayed morning prayer from our prayer book this morning, the Old Testament lesson was Isaiah 35. And in verses 3 and 4, God says this to his servant. He says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. So oftentimes for the minister, the first step is that we need to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Again, like we read in our collect. St. Paul needed to rebuke the Corinthians. They had a lot of problems. Um, Read the book. It's... it's, um, It kind of makes you feel good about anything that's happening around here. (laughs) God's people need to be called to repentance. If we're going to live, live as we're called, we must turn from our sins and turn to God. We must lay aside the evils of our hearts, the evil of our deeds, and then be faithful to our Lord. We need to change. That's a big part of the ministry. Our job as priests is often to tell you the hard truths so that you can repent. But for those who are poor in spirit, those who are repentant, who have been broken by their sins, beat down by the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're to encourage. So we say, Christian, be strong. Fear not. God is coming to avenge you. God will reward your faithfulness. He will save you. The same message from Isaiah was the message John the Baptist brought. And it's the same message that we bring today. 
The good news is that God has come. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He has defeated sin and death. He's defeated the enemy of our soul. Jesus has died to reconcile you to God, and he has risen as the conquering king. But he's also coming again. He's coming again to finish the work that he started. And when he does, every tear will be wiped away. Every eye will be dried. He will set things to right. This is where we continue the ministry of St. John the Baptist, of St. Paul, and even the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. To borrow from a meme that paraphrases Pippin's memorable reply to Aragorn in the first Lord of the Rings movie, we've had, se- we've had one Advent, yes, but what about second Advent? Well, second Advent is coming. The king is returning. And so we say, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.